This is Thurman Hayes, pastor of First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. We want to welcome you to this message from our services at First Baptist. We're a congregation that is seeking to touch lives through the life-changing power of the gospel. I pray that you'll encounter Christ in his power and love even now as you listen. Well, good morning, FBC family, and to anyone else who is joining with us to, to watch this. I want you to turn in your Bibles to the 12th chapter of the Gospel of Luke. And so, at some point, we're going to get back to our series on the Sermon on the Mount that we were going through at our church. But during these days, as we're walking through this time as, as a nation and a people, I just felt led to preach some texts that I think will be used of God to speak directly to your hearts and what we're going through right now. So I want to speak today on the subject, what do these things mean? Let's look at Luke chapter 12, and if we can begin in verse 54. Luke 12, and beginning with verse 54. Jesus also said to the crowds, when you see a cloud rising in the west, right away you say a storm is coming, and so it does. And when the south wind is blowing, you say it's going to be hot, and it is. Hypocrites, You know how to interpret the appearance of the earth and the sky, but why don't you know how to interpret this present time? Why don't you judge for yourselves what is right? As you are going with your adversary to the ruler, make an effort to settle with him on the way. Then he won't drag you before the judge. The judge hands you over to the bailiff, and the bailiff throws you into prison. I tell you, you will never get out of there until you have paid the last penny." Now let's pick it up at the beginning of chapter 13. At that time, some people came and reported to him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with the sacrifices. And he responded to them, do you think that these Galileans were more sinful than all the other Galileans because they suffered these things? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all perish as well. Or those 18 that the tower in Siloam fell on and killed, do you think they were more sinful than all the other people who live in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all perish as well. And he told this parable. A man had a fig tree that was planted in his vineyard. He came looking for fruit on it and found none. He told the vineyard worker, listen, for three years I've come looking for fruit on this fig tree and haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should it even waste the soil? But he replied to him, sir, leave it this year also until I dig around it and fertilize it. Perhaps it will produce fruit next year. But if not, you can cut it down. The sky could not have been any bluer or the the sun any clearer on that September day in 2001. It was a Tuesday morning. That beautiful weather was all up and down the East Coast, and we got up and we were going through our weekday routines, and throughout the morning, I began to hear reports of something happening, and and then the reports grew even more ominous, and I I went home to turn on a a TV, and I hadn't been watching TV more than five minutes when I saw the South Tower of the World Trade Center collapse and fall to the ground, and I knew instantly that our lives had changed. But you know, if, unless you were in the, the, the military family or, or had lost a loved one on 9-11, our actual everyday lives didn't really change as much as they have over this, these past few days as our nation has gone into lockdown because of this virus. 
And so we're asking, what is this all about? And what does this mean for us as a people? Those were the kinds of questions that the people in Jerusalem were asking as Jesus tells these stories. Because two events had happened very close together in the city of Jerusalem. And they had everyone talking. And they were tragic events. And people were appalled at what had happened. And they were wondering, what is the meaning of this? The first was a horrific episode in which the Roman governor, Pontius Pilate, had sent his soldiers into the temple in Jerusalem where they massacred a bunch of Jewish pilgrims who were there worshiping in the temple. And Jesus says here that it was so bad that the blood of these people who were massacred was actually mingled with the blood of the sacrifices that they were offering. It was a horrific event. The second event that happened about the same time was when a tower, the Tower of Siloam, that was right at the juncture of the south and east walls of the city of Jerusalem, just collapsed. And and 18 people were beneath it, and they were all crushed, killed instantly. And these two sudden tragic events, both of which involved death, had the people of Jerusalem talking and and, and speculating and asking questions about what the meaning of these things was. And what we're going to see in this text is that the people were making a wrong assumption and that Jesus gives the right answer. First of all, the people made the wrong assumption. Both of these tragedies involved death And people were beginning to speculate, why did these people die? Why were those 18 underneath the tower when it collapsed? Why were those particular worshipers inside the temple when the Roman soldiers burst in and began murdering people? Was something wrong going on in their lives? Was this some sort of divine payback? Well, Jesus knows. That's exactly what people are thinking. He knows that's the assumption that they're making. You can see it in the questions that he asks here in verses 2 and verse 4. Jesus says in verse 2, Do you think that these Galileans were more sinful than all the other Galileans because they suffered these things? Verse 4, Or those 18 that the tower in Siloam fell on and killed, do you think that they were more sinful than all the other people who live in Jerusalem? See, Jesus has grown up in this culture. He knows how they think. He knows the assumption that they're making, and he knows that they are wrong. Now, we see something very similar to this in the ninth chapter of the Gospel of John. Uh, Turn there, if if you will, in your Bibles to John chapter 9 at the very beginning of this chapter. As Jesus and his disciples encounter a man who was born blind. The Bible tells us here at the beginning of John 9, as he was passing by, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? You see, what's common in this culture for people just to assume that if, if you had met with some tragedy or some disability or whatever, that, 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 that there was some sin involved. And since this man was born blind, his disciples are speculating, did his parents commit some sin? Well, Jesus is going to answer, and essentially Jesus is going to tell them, guys, you don't have a clue what you're talking about. Jesus says in verse 3, neither this man nor his parents sinned, Jesus answered. This came about so that God's works might be displayed in him. 
In other words, God was doing something deeper than you could ever possibly understand. Now, there's a whole book of the Old Testament with this theme. It's the book of Job. Uh, in, in the book of Job, Job has all of these trage- tragedies that occur in his life. And, and then he has some so-called friends who show up to, to comfort him. Well, it's not a lot of comfort because they show up and they essentially tell Job, Job, these terrible things are happening to you because there's been some sin in your life and you just need to come clean with that. And God comes at the end of the book of Job and and God rebukes Job's friends and he says, you guys don't know what you're talking about. I was doing something deeper in this situation that you could not possibly understand. And so stop your speculations. Stop your wrong assumptions. And that's what Jesus is saying here. Jesus is saying to people that the question that you ought to be asking when people die, is not, why did they go to stand before God? The question that you ought to be asking when people pass away is, am I ready to stand before God? See, Jesus gives the right answer. That's the second thing that we see here. Let's look at chapter 13 of Luke again, and let's kind of put this together and look at verses two through five again. And he responded to them. Do you think that these Galileans were more sinful than all the other Galileans because they suffered these things? No, I tell you. But unless you repent, you will all perish as well. Or those 18 that the tower in Siloam fell on and killed. Do you think that they were more sinful than all the other people who live in Jerusalem? No, I tell you. But unless you repent, you will all perish as well. You see, Jesus spins the whole thing around. And Jesus says, don't be wondering why this happened to other people. What you ought to be concerned with is, would you be ready to stand before God if it happened to you? Now, context here is very important. Look at verse 1 of chapter 13. It says, at that time. And so Luke is linking what's happening at the beginning of chapter 13 with what happens at the end of chapter 12. You see, in the Greek New Testament, there are no chapter divisions or or, or verses numbered. It, It all flows together. And so what's happening here at the beginning of chapter 13, it just flows directly over from what Jesus has been saying at the end of chapter 12. What happens at the end of chapter 12? Jesus tells two vivid illustrations. Let's look at them. Chapter 12 and beginning with verse 54. He also said to the crowds, when you see a cloud rising in the west, right away you say a storm is coming, and so it does. And when the south wind is blowing, you say it's going to be hot, and it is. Well, people in that culture were a lot like people today. They love to speculate about the weather. And they couldn't look down at the weather app on their phone, but they could certainly look at the sky and, and, and make some, some, some predictions about what was going to happen. And so when they would look off to the, their, their west and they could see over the Mediterranean Sea, they could see some clouds beginning to gather, they, they knew a storm was coming. And when they felt the, the breezes blowing up from the Arabian desert, They knew it was going to be a scorcher. It was going to be hot. And so they love to talk about the weather as people in all times do. But Jesus says in verse 56, hypocrites, you know how to interpret the appearance of the earth and the sky, but why don't you know how to interpret this present time? 
What time is it? What time is it for us as a nation, as a people, as we have literally been brought to a standstill? What time is it? It's time for us to take stock of where we are in our lives. We have all been slowed down. We have literally been brought to a standstill. It is time for us to evaluate where we are in a relationship with the Lord, in our relationship with our families, and our churches, and our friends, and the things that really matter in life. Don't waste this time in your life. You know, I'm an optimist. I believe that things are going to return to normal sooner rather than later. I believe our economy is going to come roaring back. We're going to get back to normal life. But listen, when that happens, are you going to be different? Are you going to use this time to draw near to God, to draw near to your families, to draw near to people that that need ministry? To draw, to draw near to the things that are eternal in significance. What time is it? Don't waste this time. Jesus tells another illustration here in verses 57 and following. He says, why don't you judge for yourselves what is right? As you're going with your adversary to the ruler, make an effort to settle with him on the way. Then he won't drag you before the judge. The judge hands you over to the bailiff and the bailiff throw you into prison. I tell you, you will never get out of there until you have paid the last penny. You say, well, what is Jesus doing here? Is Jesus dispensing free legal advice? No. Jesus is making the point here that all of us, every single one of us, is going to stand before the judge of all the earth. And the time to make sure that we are right with him is now. Right now. Without delay. Because listen, our judge can become our savior. Has that happened for you? Have you turned to Christ and and put your trust in him and his death for your sins on the cross and his resurrection from the dead if, if you know Christ, then you need have no fear of standing before God because your judge has become your savior. But the time to get right with him is right now. There should be, an, there's an urgency to this. The third story that Jesus tells is in chapter 13 and beginning in verse six. So let's look at chapter 13 again and look beginning at verse six. As Jesus tells a parable about a barren fig tree. And he told them this parable. A man had a fig tree that was planted in his vineyard. He came looking for fruit on it and found none. He told the vineyard worker, listen, for three years I've come looking for fruit on this fig tree and haven't found any. Cut it down. (laughs) Why should it even waste the soil? But he replied to him, sir, leave it this year also until I dig around it and fertilize it. Perhaps it will produce fruit next year, but if not, you can cut it down. (laughs) 
You see, this farmer is kind of like Chicago Cubs fans were for, for many years up until they won the World Series in, in 2016. Every year they would say, wait till next year. <laughs> and so this farmer has been coming to this fig tree year after year after year, and it's always barren. It doesn't yield anything. And finally, one year, he just says, enough. It's just a waste of space. Let's just cut this thing down and be done with it. But his worker says, let's give it one more year. And let's give it every opportunity. Let's fertilize it. Let's pamper it. Let's do everything that we can. And if it doesn't produce fruit, the next year, we'll cut it down. Now, what's the point here? The point is that all of us have the opportunity that God has been patient with us. God has been merciful. God has been kind. God has given us chance after chance after chance to turn to him. If you are watching this video or listening to this message That is a sign of God's mercy to you, God's patience toward you. The fact that you are alive and listening or watching a message about Christ is an indication of God's kindness to you, God's patience. He is not done with you. You have today, you have this opportunity, you have this time in your life when God has forced all of us to slow down and to take stock of where we are in a relationship with him. Turn to him. Turn to him. Draw near to him. Draw near to family. Draw near to friendships. Perhaps you're watching this and you don't yet know Christ. You fear death. You fear what's happening all around you. You fear the implications of this whole thing for your, your life. And, 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 and there's, 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 there's a, there's, you feel like this is just a disaster. It's a dark time. You, you, you fear death. There's good news for you. And the good news is this. The good news is that there is one who has already suffered disaster and death in your place. Death and disaster has done its worst to Christ. But on the cross, he took our sins upon himself so that we can have eternal life. He rose from the dead. He has defeated death. He has conquered it. And his victory can be your victory. Turn to him in repentance and faith. Trust in him. Let, let, take your hands off of the controls of your life and yield your lives to him. And this whole crisis that we've been going through, you can look back on this time and you can look back and say, this was the beginning of beautiful things, new things, new life and eternal life for me. That can happen. Perhaps you're watching as a believer, you know, the parable of of the fig tree that Jesus tells, it's, it's a parable about being fruitful are, are you allowing God to bear the maximum amount of fruit through your life? Fruit that will remain for all eternity. In 1904, uh, William Borden 
was, uh, was born. And he was the heir to the Borden uh, dairy fortune. When he graduated from high school, his parents gave him the gift of a, of a, a trip around the, the world. But instead of, of, of that trip being sort of a time of leisure and, and self-indulgence, that trip became for William Borden a time when his eyes were open to the suffering of people around the world. And he returned from that trip determined to give his life to missions. And he wrote in the flyleaf of his Bible the words, no reserves. He then went on to, to Yale where as an undergraduate, he just desired to, to share the gospel with other students on the campus. And he started a, a Bible study with other students. And that Bible study just kind of morphed into a, a movement where out of the, the 1,300 students that were at Yale at that time, by the time that Borden graduated, about 1,000 of them were involved in, in small group Bible study ministry. When he graduated from Yale, he wrote two more words in his Bible, no retreats. After that, he could have gone into the family business, had a life of ease. Instead, he went to seminary and he wanted to give his life to, he had not let go of the dream to be a missionary. He studied Arabic because God had given him a special burden for Muslim people. And he went to Egypt to minister to them. And it was there that he died at the age of 25 from spinal meningitis. But before he passed away, he had written two more words in his Bible. Under the words, no reserves and no retreats, William Borden had written, no regrets. One moment after you die, the things that were really important in life will be crystal clear. This is a time in all of our lives where God has given us the opportunity to, to clarify the things that really matter. During this time of, of, of social distancing, this can be a time of drawing near to the God who loves you and who gave himself for you. This can be a time of drawing near to, to, to family and friends and taking stock of what really ultimately matters in life. That's what this time means. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for everyone who has had the opportunity to, to watch this video today. And I pray that your Holy Spirit would work in their lives. Father, I pray for anyone who has been watching who doesn't yet know Christ. Father, how I pray that right now that you would be working in their hearts and that they would turn to you in repentance and faith, that they would place their trust in, in Christ alone. Father, I pray for your people who are, who are watching this, that we would use this time profitably in our lives to draw near to you, that indeed this would be a time of renewal and revival in our lives so that when we come out of this period and we know that we will, that our lives will be different and that our lives will be more fruitful for your glory. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray, amen. God bless you. I hope you've been blessed by this message. Christ is the answer for every need now and for all eternity. 
As someone once said, Jesus plus nothing equals everything, and everything minus Jesus equals nothing. Have you trusted in Jesus as your Savior? If not, why not now? His arms are open wide to receive you. It may help to pray a prayer like this. Father, I know that you are holy and that I have sinned and fallen short of your glory. I know that you are a righteous God who must punish sin, but I believe that your son Jesus took my punishment for me, died in my place, and rose from the dead so that I could have eternal life. Right now, I turn to Jesus and trust in his finished work for me. In his name I pray, amen. You know, the Bible says this in John 1:12: to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And that means that if you've received Christ, God has adopted you as his beloved child, his very own son or daughter. Just imagine it. Almighty God, the Lord of this universe, the one who possesses all authority in heaven and earth, is now your loving father and you are his child. You say, I love him. How can I honor God with the rest of my life? Well, when you love someone, you want to spend time with them. We get to know God through his word, through prayer, and through his people. I would encourage you to pick up a copy of the Bible and begin to read it. Begin to pour out your heart to him in prayer. And find a church family where the Bible is preached, where Christ is exalted, and where his love is flowing. If you're local, I want to invite you to the church I pastor, First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. I'd love to meet you and help you in your Christian journey. I would love to connect you to some other people who love the Lord and who would love you too. Come to one of our services. We worship at 8.30 and 11 on Sunday mornings. Be sure to speak to me before or after the service. Maybe you live outside our area. I'd love for you to write me. My email is pastor at fbcsuffolk.org. Tell me what God is doing in your life. If you have spiritual questions I could help you with, please let me know. We're on this journey together.